0: is the Desperate Mothers Podcast. Oh, my. Check out what these desperate mothers are up to this week. Okay, so 21 was losing San Diego, mm-hmm. which was a follow-up to the San Diego Disappointment.
1: Yeah. It's like a, a traumatic event. <laughs> Plus new chairs would When the greatest
0: hardship, hardship in your life Is not being able to go to Comic Con Are we rolling? <laughs> Should we do an intro or something?
1: <laughs> Welcome to episode 23 of the Desperate Mothers Podcast I'm CJ Watson And
0: I'm Jack Fisher
1: And uh, yeah, Jack couldn't make it uh, to last night's podcast So... We decided to do one just because. This is a bonus podcast. It's a bonus week, which probably means we're going to use it as an excuse to miss next week. <laughs> Hopefully not.
0: No, no, no. Thursday is, is sacrosanct.
1: Okay. Okay. And Jason's in. Jason's in. He just yeah. had uh, other duties. His wife was out of town uh, last week, so he had to stay home and be responsible and take care of the kiddies.
0: Well, he has, like, other human beings that he's responsible for.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really frightening, if you ask me. Yeah. (laughs) Personally, Sarah and I haven't gotten to that point yet. Uh, Maybe, maybe sometime in the future. Uh, If you ask me, those are the biggest daredevils in the world, parents.
0: Uh, Obviously, I'm one of those people that decided to veto the whole taking care of other human beings part.
1: Yeah, well, well, when you're a handful yourself... (laughs) Plus, I always thought that uh, the greatest curse in the whole world of in the history of the world, good for me, would be to get a kid exactly like me.
0: Yeah, and somehow they, uh, most of the time, they manage to turn out like you, despite your best efforts.
1: So I'm going to get a raving lunatic, demon child is going to think all oh, the craziest things you could think of are the fun things to do. <laughs> Look at me, Dad. I'm going to jump off a roof. Woo! Yeah, don't do that. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, we were talking about comic books and I don't know if you know this, but Terry P- Pratchett passed yeah, away. Yeah, I, I saw that.
0: Yeah. It made me very sad.
1: And we were, and I personally was bemoaning the fact that uh, Discworld did not get... Um, Respectable Hollywood treatment, or any Hollywood, any yeah. respect from Hollywood at all. You know, if Discworld would have gotten at least like a Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone type treatment, that would have been awesome.
0: Yeah, but how many Discworld books are there? There's so 30, 40, 40, 40 I think it's
1: forty. Yeah. So you could pare it down to a, a decent story yeah. with pick out the three best stories, vampires and make a mashup of that would about be the best way to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Discworld mashup. Or in the theme of... just Dude, when he was alive, you could have just had him write a new Discworld story. Like uh, Douglas Adams,
0: you know? When he did a radio show, he wrote a script for a radio. We,
1: yeah, well, we were talking about how not well-received Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was. Yeah, I'm not sure
0: how much uh, Douglas Adams had to do with the writing of the screenplay for that, though.
1: And how much of it was misinterpretation by probably American authors. Yeah. Or screenplay writers.
0: And... In- directors who were sleeping or not uh, sleeping with various actors it was yeah
1: yeah well some of those actresses (laughs) and whoever played the alien that was a hot ass (laughs) i like myself some big alien ass and then the robot head you know if you want robot head you gotta go for the big robot head but no, so so I think now you're pretty much up to speed. Um, you and I were talking earlier about... Um, well, I was talking to you earlier about my latest... Not my latest movie idea, but the movie idea that is probably going to run forward and, and supersede the horror film that I really wanted to do because of lack of real funds.
0: So you're, you're worried about the... Uh cost of makeup and special effects
1: and for the horror movie yeah yeah there's some things you can do to make but you know i don't i still don't think you know the john um carpenter type 70s fake out effects would work today either put them in or you don't put them in you know could the directors of the 70s make it today you know there are Dozens, if not hundreds, of B-movie horror films and straight-to-DVD and shot-on-digital on video films put out on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon every month that don't even deserve watching.
0: I don't know. I, I, I really think it comes down to good storytelling. And if it's good storytelling, your, your viewer will forgive a lot.
1: But that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you get people that want to make movies, and you get super pretty people that want to be in front of the camera. And and I watched uh, a movie called Muck Mm -hmm. the other day. That was nothing but... Circa. Circa 2015.
0: 2015, okay.
1: Yeah, released this year with a horror veteran in it who I can't remember his name, but um, Muck was an absolutely awful piece of shit. I'm sorry. You know, kudos to the director for finishing it, because that is a monumental task. Any movie that gets finished. And, and, you know, one of my um, favorite movie seminar maker guys, Dove Simmons, uh, he said, anybody that completes a movie deserves a fucking Oscar. They should have Oscars for simply completion. Now, it's not like those little kid awards where people get... Uh, awards just for showing up, a movie is a monumental task if If it involves more than a few people working together to complete over a long period of time, completing a movie is one of probably the most noteworthy tasks you can ever accomplish. But at the same time, a piece of shit's a piece of shit. you know so
0: I, I think this popped up on my Amazon recommended or maybe Netflix recommended.
1: That's how I was alerted to it and then I went to a couple of uh, movie horror sites. Who obviously been paid off to review this yeah. thing? Because after that, I said, "Okay, I'll give it a shot." Low budget, super hot girls. It looked like they took some strippers and made a horror movie around them with two like semi decent male actors and a horror vet.
0: Well, uh, Jacqueline Swedberg uh, was she a Playboy model? Yes. Okay, I'm pretty sure I remember her. Um, and yeah, that's that's an attractive looking cast.
1: It, it's a super attractive cast. So that that's a good question.
0: How do you get your piece of shit film on the uh, Netflix? Let's recommend this algorithm.
1: Well, obviously, it helps to have <clears throat> two names. So you have Playmate, Playmate, yeah, Playmate name, and you have a horror vet in the lead role of the cannibal killer.
0: So the. Are we talking about Kane Hodler? Is he the horror of it? Yes. And, okay, Um, Seven, Monster, Frozen? Oh, I don't think that's a Frozen. That
1: No, it's the Frozen where the people are stuck on the ski lift and Uh, they die.
0: (laughs) Jason X, though. I actually like Jason X a lot. Okay.
1: Um, But you see what I mean? So you have two people in there that kind of legitimize an otherwise illegitimate movie. Yeah. Yeah. The writing was terrible. The acting was worse. Two of the male leads were actually fairly decent though. I mean in their line delivery, but the script was terrible.
0: And do you want to give a shout out to those male leads? You can. Um no, I I no?
1: Now, now I have to look it up. To see if you're given the proper shout out. Because the guy that played the bartender was terrible. If you played the bartender, you need to work on it just a little bit more. They had...
0: There's got to be half a dozen or more very attractive women on the cast here. Yeah.
1: It's like somebody hired a bunch of strippers to star in a movie. Because they had all that acting talent. You know they're gonna come up. to me. If I ever get so lucky to like be making movies, they're gonna come <laughs> up to me and like kick me in the nuts or something. But <laughs> that movie was terrible. Okay. I watched it. You took th-
0: how many how many minutes was that? We could actually look this up before we start babbling about these things. Well, you had
1: know, no idea I was going to talk we're, about. this. We're talking movie. an hour and thirty minutes. They took an hour and thirty minutes of my life. I saw like what? I did see two sets of boobies. Yeah. You know,
0: you know, boobies are cheap and especially in the days of instant infinite porn.
1: Now, on IMDb, it scores a 4.2 out of 10, and I'm thinking these fuckers were very generous.
0: But is IMDb scores is it at Uh, Oh, critic driven is that fan driven? No,
1: that's user driven. You can like register and vote, and so hopefully, hopefully they got everybody on that movie to go in and give it like ten. That way, everybody else gives it ones and twos, offset it. That
0: is a valid method of of promotion. If you can get everybody involved in your project to to vote on whatever forums possible, in order to give your film a boost, that's that's money back in your pocket especially if you're, you know, like promising percentages on the on the back end or anything to uh, to your casting crew.
1: Yeah, this the, the the Peter Hart who played nice guy James the barkeep. Yeah. Did not do such a good acting job.
0: He wasn't believable as a nice guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was ridiculous. He he wasn't believable. His lines weren't delivered believably. I I I believe that he tried. And he needed to keep up with the acting classes. It was a bad role for him, too. Um,
0: So did the movie involve a lot of special effects? Was there monsters?
1: Oh, no. They were guys painted white who would just, like, come out of nowhere, jump around like crazy, I guess, Aboriginal, native, kind of cannibal-type tribes, I guess, and kill the people. No motive, no words, hi, scary guy in white, I'm going to kill you now, ah, watch us dance around like lunatics. I pretty much described the movie to you right now. Okay. It was not good. With strippers. Well, that part was good. (laughs) Listen, I
0: I do appreciate a gratuitous display. Cut of Cut the dialogue flesh. more.
1: Give us more tits and ass. Kill some of the people, and I'm good. But don't pretend to give me acting when you're not going to give me acting. You know what, fuckers? Make that a silent movie, and that's going to be twenty times more interesting than your than your cheap ass, no thought put in it dialogue. If you are the writer director of this movie and you happen to be one of our 27 listeners. Let me know. I want to talk to you about this. <laughs> I'm going to give you a chance to defend yourself. But remember my rule. If you have to defend your story, you didn't do a good job.
0: Mostly what we're going to do is to try to find out how you got the actresses to sign on for your film.
1: Right, because you made this movie? Kudos to you. You are awesome.
0: You you completed a movie. You got it into distribution of some sort because it ended up I in your it. recommended movies and Charles
1: watched it. <laughs> that guy will fall for anything. Yeah, the male leads, they were, they were pretty decent acting. It's not like a... And I don't want to give credit where credit isn't due. And a piece of shit like that, I want to give credit to anybody. If you took your top off for that movie, you make bad life decisions.
0: Can you generalize that, though? If you're taking your top off in general, is it a bad life
1: decision? Nine times out of ten, yes,
0: yeah, because as much as we like looking at ladies with their tops off,
1: you are probably not getting compensated appropriately for doing so, yeah, right, you know don't don't cheapen your boobies, don't cheapen the boobies, they should be special, they should be special,
0: you should share them with your special friends,
1: well, or me yeah. No. <laughs> Or you should keep them covered until Playboy offers you a million dollars to unveil them. Have you heard about that Playboy offered like? Playboy routinely offers people a million dollars to like appear in their magazine. I think. Kelly Osborne turned it down, which I've got to tell you, I was super sad about, because I don't know if anyone knows this, but I love Kelly Osborne. She's just like dreamy. Yeah. Kelly Osborne chunky, Kelly Osborne skinny, what? I don't care. All Shapes of Kelly Osbourne is just totally dreamy to me. So is Kelly on the market? Uh... No, I think she's, like, dating some ultra-cool, like, you know... Hipster douche. Band guy. Yeah. 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 No, I wouldn't have a shot. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could win a fucking Oscar for a movie. I'd never have a shot. All right. Because even if I were, like, critically acclaimed, I'd never be cool enough. I'd have to, like, tattoo half my face in, like, you know... Purple to you getting on her radar. That, that could be arranged. I'm not saying I would be against that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. So yeah, if you made muck and you were listening to this, if you were on muck, dude, let us know. Email I was on muck at desperate mothers.net, and I will talk to you. I set that email up just for you. I was on muck at DesperateMothers.net. That will go to the show's email.
0: Or send it to Muck was awesome, fuck CJ at DesperateMothers.net.
1: Oh, you should just... Net. Net. Just dot net. You could hashtag MuckWasAwesome MuckWasAwesome hashtag DesperateMothers. Eat a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hashtag CJ sucks. You can um, To my Twitter account, uh, CJ Watson, or something at Desperate Mothers. Anything that has muck in it, it will go to a separate account. That way I can filter it out and see. So just put muck at DesperateMothers.net if you want to talk about the movie Muck. Or hit us on our Twitter.
0: Or if you figure out the geotags on this, you can actually hit CJ.
1: Yeah, but I think most of the people smart enough to figure that out are living in India, and they're not going to make that drive.
0: Okay. Well, that's probably better for you.
1: It is. It is. You know, you never know. I may be big in India but right now. Like that rock star who didn't know he was a rock star in Africa.
0: I don't recall that one.
1: Oh, it's a real life story. Yeah. There was this guy who put out an album like in the 70s or whatever. It was in the 70s. And then it never got traction. It never got traction. Okay, it was uh, Searching for Sugar Man was the documentary that uh, uh, it was the story of Rodriguez, this guy in the 70s who, who put out an album and, and didn't gain traction in the US but didn't know that in uh, South Africa or South Africans they really fell in love with his music. So his stuff was considered rock and roll. It was classic. It was played. He was idolized. He had a following, and never knew it. He went to a day job. He's you know working for like thirty odd years.
0: So it, eventually,
1: eventually, when they were making this documentary, they found this guy, this rock star, working in a regular everyday job, who didn't know that he was idolized by hundreds of thousands, if not millions.
0: So what was the time period between when he put this music out and when he realized that there was somebody actually listening to it?
1: Oh, he put the music out in the 1970s, um, early 1970s. And it wasn't until like they were looking for this guy in the documentary that they found that he was not only alive, but he was working as something that wasn't a musician. He was... a uh, let he had two albums.
0: Okay, but what year was the documentary? Are we talking 2000?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, like 2011, 2012. So
0: almost 40 years.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's a that's a Cinderella story.
1: I know, but Cinderella had to wait, what, a couple weeks after midnight? Not 40 years. Yeah. Like, if Cinderella met Prince Charming when she was 80, <laughs> would it have been equally as romantic? <laughs>
0: well, you know, it depends on whether uh, Prince Charming was into MILFs or possibly even
1: GILFs. Well, at that point, Prince Charming's 82. Yeah. Also, he's 80 also. Um, yeah, but he's a rich 80, which makes him... You know what? this is, But this is thematically in line with our podcast anyway. I mean, this is like... Older guys trying to change their life and follow their dreams. This guy followed his dream when he was young, and it didn't go didn't get him anywhere, you know. But unbeknownst to him, his song was iconic to South Africans. You know, he was rock and roll, and when they found him again, he was able to play music for a living again. You know, it it was like uh, it's kind of a Cinderella story, but. One that takes place at practically geological times.
0: <laughs> Measuring this shift of te- tectonic plates.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, kudos. That's great. You know, it's better than dying, never having realized your dream. The fact that he got to cut a couple albums when he was younger, that's awesome, too. Back in the days when that shit was hard. Not like, you know, now where everyone can fire up a MacBook and GarageBand in their bathroom and record a pretty decent album.
0: Yeah, but the the quality of what we see all over the place is indicative of the fact that everybody can fire up GarageBand and a MacBook Pro and and put shit everywhere.
1: Right, it doesn't really stand out unless you get a professional producer behind it. There's no there's no substitute for professional training. And if you listen to my podcast, you obviously know that. <laughs> As
0: we struggle
1: to find our sound levels given our location. The
0: producer is roughly equivalent to a writer's editor. The editor takes your work and distills it to something that can be consumed by others. Because what's in our head is mainly nonsense to everybody else. You need... You need a third person with training and talent and understanding to take what's in our head, what we put on paper, and to translate that to something that other
1: people are going to want to listen to or read
0: or watch.
1: With mm-hmm. so music, <clears throat> that's a tough job, you know, because music producers, they know what works as an end product. And when you're making a song you put it. You have so many ideas out there, and you know you want to change this a little bit and change that a little bit, and you're like, I know, I know part A works, but I want to do it a little bit differently because I've never heard that before, and then instead of moving to part B, I'm going to shift into part Z because nobody ever does that. You know why? Because the producer's going to say, because it doesn't sound good. <laughs> but I'm going to let you do it, and then in post, I'm going to fix it all, and I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to do it my way, and then you're going to see that my way a formulaic way, works, and it's good.
0: Producers and editors can be
1: demonized, though.
0: Because Because of that very thing. They're transforming what you made.
1: Into a a digestible product.
0: But a good producer or good editor...
1: Keeps the spirit of your original work alive. Sorry.
0: Without... (laughs) Without abandoning your beliefs and ideology and the core of of what you are striving for.
1: Right. But a simple engineer makes sure you can at least hear the fucking show. <laughs> so but so we're, we're working on that. <laughs> There's, you know, baby steps. <laughs> hey, this is an ongoing experiment. Have you been with us along the way? thank you. And and send an email to, hey, I've been with you along the way at DesperateMothers.net <laughs> Seriously, I check the spam filter all the time. Desperate Mothers doesn't even get spam. <laughs> I don't know any email address that doesn't get spam. My private domain gets spam. I didn't even put that out there. So, So, yeah, this guy, you know, great he, he's able to quit his job he's able to like be a rock star again that's awesome realizing your dreams later in life is the second best thing to ever happen to you you know the best thing is realizing your dreams early on and then having a long life living your dream but desperate mothers is all about realizing your dreams later in life
0: But is success wasted on youth?
1: Well, everything is wasted on youth.
0: So does the 60-year-old, the 70-year-old, or in your case, you know, 40, 50-year-old, appreciate success more? Do they treasure it more? Do they relish it more? And is that relevant?
1: I don't know. I actually think it, it is relevant because I think um the fact that they feel such a tenuous grasp on it in the first place makes it more fleeting. Makes them more cautious, more, you know, because if you're safe with your art, you're not edgy anymore. The thing is you need to you don't need to be new, you need to be energetic
0: but you, it's not it's not the cautious mothers it's the desperate mothers
1: yeah yeah i i'm here making fuck ton of puppets that's not cautious that's ridiculous and and i'm like making a puppet show where they like give hugs and cuz i could very well shoot a puppet show where they give lessons, and I can sell it to an educational institution. I have connections there, and I have people asking me, well, would you make a, a video for social studies? Would you make a video for uh, history, something to get the kids to, to watch and be more... Uh, um. And the answer is, how much are you paying? The answer is no, because there's whole groups of people out there doing that. You know, Just because I do it best... Doesn't mean I want to do it at all.
0: No, the correct answer is how much will you pay me because then I can turn around and take that money
1: and pour it into what I really want to do. No, they want the lessons and then they want to share. And there's there's things out there for that, but at the same time uh, No, I'm not interested in, in making puppets teach about Soma. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually could be kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what <laughs> I just might do do something similar to that. you know here's a desperate mother's puppet theater reenactment of Ferguson, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> to show you just how ridiculous that whole thing was. yeah, there was no reason to kill the kid, but at the same time. <laughs> he needed to be stopped, right? You know, you see the hands-up thing, and not to get too controversial here, because I wasn't there, but neither were everybody else that were commenting on it. The end result is somebody died that probably didn't need to die, but definitely needed to go to jail, you know? Um, And in some cases, what's going on with the Ferguson Police Department and the Fed investigation and everything (laughs) is very Bill Cosby-like. So it's like, (laughs) shit, that shit didn't need to happen. But something needed to happen. But maybe ultimately now that the feds are coming in it's like, wow, this police department was out of control. <laughs> I, I don't know. I,
0: I'm seeing the potential for some ISIS beheadings in Puppet.
1: That's that's what I was thinking about. That's where I was going next. I'm like, okay, so we do a reenactment with Puppets of the Ferguson shooting. And then maybe some of the protests. And then we can do, uh, oh, well, why not stop there? <laughs> Let Every time... ISIS beheads somebody We'll do a puppet reenactment of ISIS Beheading another puppet
0: There's precedence for this Because there's an Asian news organization That does like digital animated Reenactments Mm -hmm. of Interpretations of what they Think might have happened Mm -hmm. So why not Puppet reenactments of Current events
1: That is incredibly Offensive
0: Which is exactly what you should be striving for.
1: Well, ultimately, the whole reason I'm here is because I want to tell stories, not to be the most offensive jerk on the planet. I'm actually trying not to be the most offensive jerk on the planet. I don't always succeed, and if you know me in the private settings, I'm pretty much well-behaved on the podcast. Yeah, sure. You don't think I'm well-behaved on the yeah, podcast? Yeah, yeah,
0: you're pretty well-behaved.
1: Because I get not well-behaved. Yeah. In the podcast, I'm well-behaved. Not one puppet has beheaded a puppet yet. Plus, I don't think I want to, like, have to go to all the trouble of, like, cutting through a puppet and then re-sewing it together.
0: Well, if you design the puppet from the get-go to be decapitatable.
1: So when you cut the puppet heads off, does it spray foam out everywhere?
0: Well, yeah. Foam and... That'd be great.
1: Foam and fur and fleece and like a, a CO2 cartridge, like Psh, spraying it everywhere and foam and fur and some crazy ISIS thing.
0: You're getting into practical effects now, I think, but uh, <laughs> do we have the budget for practical effects?
1: No, but I can probably pony up for CO2 cartridges. <laughs>
0: yeah. How about we like glue some uh, New Year's Eve poppers to the inside and when you pull the head off it
1: so we'd have to make puppets look like they're wearing like you know no i don't know i'm not i'm not gonna i am not gonna have isis puppets behead other puppets
0: come on man that's cutting edge no one has done it
1: (laughs) no one has on purpose (laughs) The next thing I know, I can't travel through any Muslim state because they might (sighs) kidnap me and sell me to ISIS. And they'll be like, take this, fat puppet man. (laughs) And I'll be like, oh, I hope this video gets a lot of views. (laughs) (laughs) Would it help if I pee my pants? Because I am.
0: (laughs) Okay, so, you know, maybe there is... A, a, a line in the sand where that's not the publicity that I want.
1: Right. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll be had some puppets once the Bunny Rabbit Tragedies gets going, and we can like take some of that publicity and funnel it that way. Mm-hmm. Right now, it would just get me hate mail and maybe some podcast subscribers. <laughs> <clears throat> but. but if we shoot the show, get the first season done, and we need—we're struggling for fans and uh, traffic—then maybe we'll do something like, you know, a Ferguson reenactment <laughs> and an ISIS beheading. Because I can like design a whole bunch of like crazy puppets that like hate everybody because they're not like them Like, uh, and it'll be something stupid I'll, I'll get some crazy stupid looking fur color puppet and make some wacky um cookie monster mutant type style or species of puppet and those will all be the ISIS puppets maybe they'll all be like black or camouflage <laughs> I don't know always wearing like um balaclavas anyways
0: well if you could get one or two playmates to sign up for it that would probably Puppet
1: beheadings with tits because cleavage don't cut it you gotta have the nipples yeah if you want to get my attention like muck you gotta have the nipples <laughs> So, yeah, Muck was pretty bad. Um, gosh. I can't believe I'm back to that. This fucker made a movie and I have it. <laughs> Feed the rage. So, so
0: Internalize it. Let it burn. Let it come
1: out. So, as I was working out like um, line item stuff to see how much money it would cost to do the first horror film. Because, you know, I'm getting the last parts of the bunny rabbit strategies together and we're looking at trees and we talked about it with Beth before but we're looking at trees and certain backdrops to do scenes where puppets are dead on the floor you know bunny rabbits are dead on the floor and, and Klaus and Desmond come and they, they're like over the bunnies so in those camera angles you need a, you need a, a forest or wood floor um, so I'm looking at what I need for that and it's not that bad. And then I started doing line item for like blood packs and um and latex prosthetics. Stuff that I want for the first couple of movies, you know. So line item stuff I've talked about with for Zombie Weekend before where it's the it's the movie about about uh it's a the found footage movie about the kids going on a day trip and they Get caught up in a zombie outbreak somewhere in um, the desert in California, and they ultimately die there. But all the footage we get from the movie is like from their phones. And I looked at like I need I, I need uh, a professional sound guy and, and the microphones for everybody that's there, and I need a professional lighting truck. And guys who need to run the lights. Somebody who knows how to light scenes appropriately for night settings, interior and exterior. And then uh hair and makeup for actors and um some pyro special effects for uh gunshot impacts and gunshots from the army troops at the end. As well as you know, props for knives and squibs. And uh, wood stuff that breaks apart. And and I'm looking at it, and I'm coming up with (laughs) $38,000. Like, I don't have $38,000 right now. Maybe I can raise it after the bunny rabbit tragedies. But right now, $38,000 might as well be $100,000. You know, $38,000 is the lion's share of what I make in my day job. (laughs)
0: That's, that's a very nice new car.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have $38,000, especially a blow on what is essentially gambling on picking up distribution of the movie. Like, if I had got to the point where I could, like, mortgage the house and pay for it, that's great. Ultimately, I'm going to sell it to somebody, and I'm probably going to sell it to somebody for fifty grand and get my money back and be able to make another movie. That's a success in my book, Right. But who knows? What movie can I make next? You know. Well, that,
0: that's assuming that you don't pay your actors anything, don't pay your writers anything.
1: Right. That's exactly it. The tradesmen, the skilled labor get paid. The people in it do not. You know, and that counts for the people that are getting prosthetics put on them. <laughs> Those people are going to be mad.
0: Because when it comes down to it. The actors, mainly what they want, is they
1: want credit. They want billing. They want to say, you know, Johnny Nobody is the star of Zombie Weekend. You know? But then the other four people are going to say, well, what about me, motherfucker? Yeah. And we're like, okay, then I got five people before the name of my movie. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy letting me use his house for, like, the shoot is going to say... Well, what about me, motherfucker? Assistant executive producer before the name of my movie. Okay, everybody who's on this movie gets their name put up before you see the title. Because <laughs> pre title credits is about the best thing you have in the way of leverage when you have no money. I'm familiar with the having no money part of, the, of making this stuff. Anyway, so so Zombie Weekend, unless um, Bunny Rabbit Tragedies takes off, <laughs> very unlikely to be the first movie. So I'm talking about. I was talking to you earlier about making the practical movie, making the movie pretty much like uh, making the movie in the genre of the movies that I've talked about with making movies with Ray before, making movies with uh, other people making a movie about me when I tried to make my first movie that didn't happen. You know, the first movie that I was working on um, back in 2007, 2006, 2007, I was trying to put together the the horror movie Strawbelly. You know, it was about my um, ancient Native American demon spirit who tortured uh, an ancient Native American tribe way back before... The Spanish landed on the continent, and Columbus settled, whatever, everything. And then, for whatever reason, and, and I, won't, I don't want to get into it right now, because I don't, want to, I don't want to start the long story of Straw Belly the movie. But it's kind of a cross between the Native American uh, god mythologies and the Skinwalkers. And then a revenge flick where the guy finally comes back to life or gets reanimated after being imprisoned for so long and then starts slaughtering the entire family line of the medicine man that imprisoned him in the first place 500 years ago. At this point, 550 years ago. So I really wanted to make that movie, but that movie is going to be extremely more expensive because... It's an animated scarecrow and there's a ton of killing in it. So putting that on the back burner, I'm gonna make, you know, your standard kind of dramedy movie. That's based on me trying to make that movie. But then with liberal taking taking license liberally and changing it a lot. So right now I'm tentatively calling it bookseller. Because I was a bookseller back in those days, working the bookstores, had a lot of uh, Hollywood and uh, CalArts connections. Maybe a little homage to
0: Kevin Smith and
1: Clerks. You you cannot get away from that. I have racked my brain trying to get away from that. You have to know that up until like last year, I was not a big Kevin Smith fan. It wasn't till it wasn't until I discovered his podcast and started talking about the process that motivated me to do this. To continually talk about the process, you know, the t- process of like telling stories and making movies, you know, it's really great. Um, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan now. Still don't like the the <laughs> the basic movies that much. Clerks was kind of okay.
0: Clerks was okay. Um,
1: Chasing Amy did not like. And I should love Chasing Amy. The It's it's about comic books. It's about lesbians. It's about guys who think they could turn lesbians straight. Yeah. I mean, that that has all the hallmarks of what CJ would say is a great movie. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. <laughs> it totally wasn't. I, yeah, I, I've I watched it. i watched it a it, million times. Well, half a dozen times.
0: I've watched it at least twice. And, you know, the second time I watched it, I I watched it thinking, did I miss something?
1: Yeah. But... What I really think of what you get from that is, is you get his passion for for telling a story. And that comes out. I mean, and the dialogue, I always feel the dialogue's kind of forced in the Kevin Smith movie. But I think I've talked about, about it before. I always think the dialogue is forced or super thought out or super cerebral, try to pseudo-intellectual, try to be intellectual. You know, there's a difference between pseudo-intellectual and try to be intellectual. Pseudo-intellectuals are, are people who think they're intellectual and they're not and try too hard to be intellectuals and i really think that's what i mean try too hard to be intellectuals his scripts are try too hard to be intellectual because it's like dawson's creek you know people are way more verbose than they need to be the doss and i blame kevin smith for the creation of dawson's creek which i like i got in to it with you the last time that we podcast together where where the guy from the fringe came from he played pacey in dawson's creek where where it was teenagers talking like um english grad students <laughs> <laughs> like well i'm in a i'm in uh i'm in the 10th grade but i'm incredibly thoughtful and i use all the longest words that i can because i'm trying to like Expound upon a thought in ways that mere adults cannot understand. My deep teenage emotional crises. Yeah, it's,
0: it's the worst type of teen angst crap.
1: But all that dialogue, that dialogue is like all straight out of a Kevin Smith movie. So ultimately, yeah, I can't get away from the bookseller being very similar to Clerks. But I think when you really start dissecting the story of bookseller and i haven't i haven't really laid it all on the line on the podcast like i had a, a few of my other projects bookseller is actually more akin to clerks 2 in that hopefully it tells a story like clerks 2 with with a traditional beginning middle end which is less uh less God from the machine, less Dex de ex, ex Machina, where like, you know, Jane and Silent Bob m- magically unbeknownst to Dante the whole time, have the money to solve all of his problems. And, and it's not until they talk about it that they loan him the money to buy the, the quick stop and solve everything and, and realize his dream, you know, did you watch clerks too? Yeah. Do you remember that? No. Okay. Well, that's what happened. Um, So so Jay and Silent Bob said, Oh, Dante, did you want to buy the quick stop? We can buy it for you. We have all this drug money. (laughs) Boom. End of movie. All of that, you know. The 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 Dex X Machina, the god from the machine, you know, the thing that comes down and solves everything, the magic the magic pill, or magic bullet. You know, that that's kind of ridiculous. And and Kevin Smith talks about how he, like, gets a little tear in his eye when he realizes that yeah, uh, his character got to realize his dream. And, like, you wrote it, motherfucker. Why does that call- bring a tear to your eye? <laughs> <laughs> okay, be proud of it. But, really, that was a cheap out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was a bad ending. Yeah, make him work for it more, you know. That's the whole adventure of being a writer. I mean, I, you, you don't study writing, and and literature, and and different you know ways to write, and different ways people have written over the centuries, to then give them the cheap out, you know.
0: So we were talking the other night about Last of the Mohicans,
1: right? Where for the time, it was just another um American romantic novel. American romance. It's
0: basically a pulp fiction.
1: Yeah. But it was but it was a uh, it was a
0: dime store novel.
1: Yeah, but it, it's actually in the rom- American romantic genre. Yeah. Where it romanticizes uh an idea of American frontier life. And and how it survives when it was not the only one telling the story of its day what
0: what made it enduring
1: that's exactly it that's that magical quality what makes that enduring and the other like 100 novels that came out that year with the exact same story not because
0: as solomon said in the bible if you weren't sure there is nothing new under the sun Every idea that you have had, somebody else has had. I every story, every story that you have written, somebody else has written. So, what makes yours different?
1: Well, Sartre, Sartre wrote all the stories. Yeah, all of them. Okay. The Greek playwright. Yeah. He's the first. Okay. <laughs> there hasn't been anyone since. But, yeah, why, why is his version the best, the one we remember? Why, why don't we remember, like, Joe Schmoe's from, from uh, New York circa 1692? You know, why don't, why don't we remember? Joe Schmoe and the Indian princess conquer everybody, and true love wins all. You know, did they suck that bad? You know, why is Stephen King able to pump out best-selling novel after best-selling novel when you know that there are a handful of great writers that never get any acclaim? You probably personally know a handful of great writers. Present company excluded. I know I know a few that nobody else knows. You know, I know a lot of writers. I know a lot of writers working in that, are, that they can't make a living writing their, their fiction, so they work in newspaper or or advertising. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people that can't write their way out of paper, paper bag that are working in TV and film, you know, just because however they do it, just it, it hits a nerve, strikes a nerve with somebody that, that this is marketable, this is worth paying for. You know, I, I know um, some of my English professors, that are absolutely wonderful writers that will never do anything but teach English. But there's
0: a difference between marketable. Marketable basically represents what people want at that moment Mm -hmm. in Last of the Mohicans. It is endured. It, It didn't just sell at the time. It's continued to sell.
1: So what makes people connect with it?
0: What makes people connect with it? Why has it survived for 100 years, 50 years? What, what makes a story last?
1: Well, it's funny because The Last of the Mohicans was... I mean, you think from the title it's going to be about The Last of the Mohicans, but <laughs> right from the get-go, it is not about The Last of the Mohicans. It is about a white man who was raised... <laughs> as a Mohican but he's not truly a Mohican you follow yeah and then his adventures in telling the other white men how they do everything wrong and do everything the the in, the, the Mohican way is the right way but nobody gets it and the fact that everybody's doing everything incorrectly leads to their destruction and he can't save everybody but he can save the love interest which he does over the course of time and even her family is is it's impossible to save because the can't white save the
0: father can't save the sister the
1: white the machine that refuses to bend is destroyed but the mohican way endures all the time and ultimately our hero finds his white love but they never have to actually deal with the end of the story. That's why it's romantic, right? Yeah. Right. So all the external forces that are causing conflict are destroyed in the end. The original Mohican, the last of the Mohican, lives to pass the new world on to this white couple who hopefully now know and realize that they need to change their ways in order to prosper in the future. It's really a complex story or idea wrapped up in a simple adventure and a bunch of killing.
0: So did it endure because it had some subdermal so, I really, complexity?
1: I think that's always the thing. You know, The greatest successes are the stories that get an underlying message across without beating you over the head with it.
0: So it wasn't being obvious. It was being subtle.
1: It was obviously giving you adventure and love story. Titillation, killing, and adventure, and, and, and getting that message in there in a subtle way. That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, studied it in school. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I did my time as an English major. <laughs> my argument should probably be a lot better than that. But, but I've been working as a tech for a while, so my brain has become much. Hmm. But when you think about it like that, it's a pretty deep story. Well, I noticed you bought the DVD, the Blu-ray, yeah, so you could watch it again. So I could watch it again. I actually, I I, I love Daniel Day-Lewis. I love um, what's her name, Madeline? Madeline Stowe. Oh, Madeline Stowe is beautiful. Gorgeous, um, yeah. The music in that is awesome. I I have not seen an exciting like Frontier fight scene movie like that um, since. Okay, you might hate me for it, but The Patriot was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I've actually never seen The Patriot. You, sir, need to buy another Blu-ray. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, they tried to sell me The Patriot at the same time that I was buying uh,
1: Last of the Mohicans. Lohican? Yeah. yeah, yeah, when you watch it, you'll see why. It is actually pretty awesome.
0: I, I have the semi-aversion to the leak
1: actor you don't like the Mel Gibson no why because he's an ass he's a drunk asshole you should love him (laughs) (laughs) he's one of us
0: if I could look myself in the mirror I probably would like him
1: (laughs) if I looked at myself in the mirror I would hate that fucking guy I think if I had to look at me I would not be friends with me (laughs) I always think, man, I want a friend like me, but maybe I really don't. (laughs) I get out and I like I like coerce people to like have adventures with me and I'm like, man, I would hate me. I would never do I would never do anything with me. Like we're going through a drive thru, I'm telling my buddy to order maple. When they ask for what sauce do you want with your nuggets, no matter where you're at, I'm saying, Maple maple syrup, syrup. Yes. (laughs) So, so maple syrup, always. Why? Just because. (laughs) Okay, truthfully, I never really eat the sauces. (laughs) So, if you're going to ask me what I want, and I know you have breakfast, give me maple syrup, motherfucker. On chicken nuggets, on cheese sticks, on pizza crust, give me maple syrup. Mm. Egg rolls and maple syrup.
0: See, egg rolls I can almost... I can almost see it. But, okay, uh,
1: dip your pizza crust in maple syrup. Taste like a fucking pancake. I, I
0: don't need to taste maple syrup when I'm eating chicken nuggets. I don't need to taste maple syrup when I'm eating pizza. No, no. You it's, save
1: it for your pizza crust, or the pizza bone, as Sarah calls them. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, that pizza crust turns into a freaking pancake in your mouth. So you just had pizza, and you finish it off with pancakes. What gets better than that? Sex. You have sex afterwards, you're done. <laughs>
0: I would rather take the maple syrup and drizzle it on the person that I was having sex with.
1: Or the pizza. No. I don't want it on the pizza. I don't understand why not. (laughs) So speaking of inappropriate flavors and tastes, Jason and I, when we were talking about, uh, when we were doing our podcast, we did the peeps every flavor or the mystery flavor and when we opened that peeps mystery flavor you know what that mystery flavor was freaking hawaiian punch Hmm. it was like tropical and fruit punch mixed together the first peep was super strong but the more peeps you ate the less strong it got because your your palate was already acclimated to it yeah but yeah i was hoping for like bacon or onion or you know garlic Garlic. Garlic would, garlic would have been good, right? Or maybe every peep being different. But no, they were all like Hawaiian punch flavors. I, I would totally hope for the peeps being different. Every peep being a random different flavor. Impossible yes. to tell what you get. Harry Potter, every flavor peeps. Yes. Birdie Bots, every flavor peeps. Yeah. every Birdie Bots, every flavor bean by the Jelly Belly Company. Hands down, one of the greatest candy inventions in the last 20 years. Since Jelly Belly's. And before that, you got to go back to, like, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups is the greatest candy invention ever. But the Birdie Bots, second place. So tonight, in, in, that, uh, in that vein of inappropriate flavor combinations, we have by the most crazy brewing company, no, Rogue Brewing Company, right? It's, it's Rogue? Rogue Ales and Spirits. They have made a sriracha, right? S R I. Sriracha. Sriracha. They made a sriracha. Is that an ale? This is a stout, sriracha hot stout beer. Sriracha hot stout beer. Now, the bottle is huge. The bottle is red. The bottle looks like a giant sriracha bottle. Yep. Great, great, you know, bright red with our fire engine red. You think the fire engine red? Yeah. With a giant white cock on it. Uh-huh. You know, being a guy, I don't want to favor anything with a white cock. Absolutely. So, so Jack's gonna crack this. It says, I put sriracha. Oh. Same sound I make when I take down my pants.
0: It's got a definite stout color to it. That
1: is stouty. That is dark. That is not like weak pants ale. Can't see through that. That's black. Ooh, look at that. Look at that head.
0: Yeah, it's got some head. Uh, got a dark roasted green color to it. the The bouquet is definitely interesting.
1: So, welcome to Beer Thirty with Jack Fisher. Mm-hmm. Thirty seconds of beer drinking with Jack.
0: <laughs> it might run a little over thirty seconds, but
1: uh... <laughs> it's a bare minimum of thirty seconds.
0: So the the hot sauce is not overwhelming on the bouquet.
1: Do you really smell it at all?
0: Yeah, I do smell it. It's not overwhelming, though. I was expecting like a, a vinegar, peppery smack when I uh, stick my nose in it.
1: I went to, a, Mongo- I went to like a, a Mongolian barbecue for lunch today, and I swear I ate like a cup of sriracha sauce on my, on my barbecue.
0: Hmm. The, um, the hot sauce is definitely on the back of the palate.
1: It's a chili flavored stuff and you do get the hot on the back of the palate very back of the tongue almost roof of the mouth
0: yeah yeah
1: that's an interesting place to It note is
0: interesting. That. Now Rogue has done some abominations before and I think we probably talked about it on this on the podcast previously.
1: Yeah, cuz I think Rogue is probably owned by Satan. Yeah, because they've like put the flavors of bacon and donuts into beer. Yeah. And not in a magical jelly belly kind of way. More like in an abomination kind of way. Like, I imagine if Rogue can figure out how to put vomit taste in a beer, they would put it out. But they would call it something like uh, hmm. previously chewed. The- what, second second drink on the palate is different?
0: Yeah. Um, you get a little bit more concentration of the pepper...
1: It's moving. It's t- it's moving forward. It's overtaking your tongue and throat. Yeah. That's interesting. It this does not disappoint in its chili and hot sauce flavors. It's very very chilly.
0: And it's it's progressive. It, I, it,
1: if it gets hot at some point and I start sweating, I'm going to send them a thank you letter.
0: It, it starts out. Almost subtle, and then it kind of works its way into your consciousness.
1: It's very stouty.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect the the kind of roasted coffee, almost uh, chocolate sort of taste of a of a stout to blend with hot sauce. But you know, then again. Chocolate
1: and coffee and stout. Mexican chocolate. Mole. mole. You're thinking mole.
0: Mole with the, the peppers, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's chocolate but not sweet with chili. It's
0: <clears throat> It's got uh, almost a mole taste to it.
1: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really could have... Uh, I imagine they sell a lot because of the, the sriracha brandy. But somebody out there could like steal this idea they could steal this idea and totally make now there was a ghost beer
0: there was a ghost pepper beer um what was the varietal the beer and who made it
1: was that recent yeah very recent we didn't have
0: it we we haven't had it i i wasn't able to get my hands on any i'm curious now as to what the varietal of the uh the ghost pepper beer was on
1: ghost. well. There's apparently a ghost pepper bourbon county brand stout uh, from Goose Island. Does that sound right?
0: That might be what I was thinking of,
1: because we do
0: like the Goose Island. Yeah, Goose Island is uh, has had plenty of successes. They make a, a pretty decent. Um, yeah, it might have been Ghostface Killer that I was thinking of.
1: That's a rapper.
0: So, uh, that but right? that's obviously a, an ale. Uh, it's it's not a lager. It's an ale. Um, and this is a stout, which they have entirely different uh, palate elements.
1: This is vibrant. This is lively. This is uh, kind of hot on my palate. I don't know. Like I say... Since earlier today, I, I practically drank a cup of sriracha sauce with my meal. I'm pretty um, resistant to hot things because mm-hmm. I like them so much. But I feel this on my tongue and the roof of my mouth. This is, this is there. This is, a, this is a hot sauce type beer that does not fail to deliver. I can't tell if it's hot is what I'm saying. I can't tell if it's hot because I eat so many hot things. Like I'm the guy who eats hot pepper straight. I'm well, the
0: guy It's not burning my lips, right. but it's definitely leaving something on a tingling
1: the, on the tongue.
0: On the tongue, on the roof of the mouth, mm-hmm. on the back of the throat.
1: I'm I'm pleased. Um this is... Yeah, I'm I'm surprised.
0: As far as uh, I, I I can see this pairing with,
1: you know hot wings and What why would you bother? I don't you drink know. this when after the hot wings are gone and you still yeah. the hot stuff. Now, you don't, I don't know. I think hot wings would be lost on this. I mean, because any old beer you do, you're going to drink hot wings. You might as well drink, you know, the, the crappy beer. I guess so. This is when you want spicy beer. This is hot sauce beer. This is definitely, this does not fail to deliver. This is not horrible like the god-awful <laughs> maple bacon donut they made. <laughs> And
0: I, I'm terrified of the. They have some lemon chiffon lemon donut. chiffon donut uh, brew out right now. H- how is it that a company that is known in the beer in the craft beer world can put out <laughs> two things, one so good and one so bad?
1: Because that maple bacon beer tasted like maple and burnt bacon.
0: My, it it tasted like somebody had taken an entire five-ounce bottle of artificial smoke flavoring and dumped it. That's what it it
1: was. Artificial smoke flavoring, A, is the worst thing to ever use, and B, is the worst thing to ever drink. Yeah. And they used it, and we drank it, and it was awful. And I think somebody ate a maple donut and spit into the bottle afterwards.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it
1: was uh, pretty bad. That was not a good flavor coming. So, ruling on uh, the Rogue Sriracha. I'm I'm, I'm digging it. Um, Would you recommend it?
0: I would recommend it. I I don't think it's one that you want to drink. I don't think you want to drink a 16-ounce of it by yourself. Um, Like share
1: it with friends? Yeah. Maybe uh, get some flight glasses?
0: Take a seven fifty milliliter, split it with some friends. Um, Like
1: we gotta get the taster glasses.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the four ounce taster glasses.
1: Yeah. Everybody should own the four ounce taster glasses. In fact, we should probably own the four ounce taster glasses, though we don't like drink a ton of beer every time we do one of these. Though what's wrong with that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's very much in contrast with the beer that I had just shortly before the, the Rogue Sriracha.
1: Oh, the Ballast Point uh, Grapefruit Sculpin.
0: Yeah, the, the Grapefruit IPA um, or the Grapefruit Sculpin um, very much in contrast to that.
1: Uh, so without getting too much into it um, the Grapefruit Sculpin I know it's not the first time we've had it um, citrus in an IPA that is a bold combination. Citrus In an ale, citrus and a lager, those are, like, more friendly. Citrus and an IPA.
0: It's a different citrus, though. It's grapefruit. And grapefruit by itself is bitter. Okay. And IPAs are bitter. Mm -hmm. So you're taking bitter and adding bitter to it with an overall citrus amplification. And um, certain hops have a natural citrus taste to them. So, I I think that the Grapefruit Sculpin is a spot-on natural harmonic combination. They they feed each other, they amplify each other, they complement each other.
1: So, actually, tonight's Beer 30 had two successes.
0: Two successes, definitely. Uh, Ballast Point uh, Brewing Company, which... Is is it a California Brewing Company? Yes, it is. It's uh, oh, local boys. Uh, San Diego, California. Uh, rogue, uh, Oregon. Uh, it's Oregon Brewing Company. Uh, probably most famous for Dead Guy Ale.
1: Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely gonna save that bottle because that's pretty cool looking. What's it say on the back? The upper left hand. Dedicated
0: side? to the rooster. I put my sriracha in my rogue. Um, Hmm. Rogue Sriracha Hot Stout Beer made from the Hoi Fong original hot chili sauce and sun-ripened Rogue Farm ingredients is ready to drink with soups, sauces, pizzas, pasta, hot dogs, hamburgers, chow mein, or anything you'd like to wash down with a spicy kick.
1: Well, I guess if you're sick of, like, washing down your jalapeno covered pizza like my my pizzas tend to be jalapeno pineapple right I put jalapenos and pineapples on my pizza jalapenos if you got them and usually when I wash it down I wash away all that beautiful jalapeno taste I would try this with a jalapeno pizza to see if it doesn't wash down all my beautiful spiciness but you know at the same time, I would be worried that I would lose all the, the tasty, spicy effects of this rogue sriracha beer with all that food, you know?
0: I, I think it's capable of standing on its own.
1: I think it should stand on its own. I think if you want spicy and you want beer, you should try this. It's not cheap. Um, I think it's $14. Yep. Thirteen ninety nine or twelve ninety nine, and 99 But uh, it's definitely something you should indulge in. And at least, and Ballast Point seems to have a grasp on what they're doing. Yeah. And Rogue finally has one that doesn't want to make us puke. Like um, an odd flavor that doesn't want to make us puke. Because the yeah, Dead Guy's uh, great.
0: Dead Guy, good stuff. Um, I'm in favor of most ales. Uh, so this surprised me for a couple of reasons. It's, it's a stout.
1: Oh, you're not like the stout lover like I am.
0: I'm not a stout lover. I, I am a stout appreciator.
1: Right, I'm a stout lover. Like, uh, I go to the stouts. uh, Because I'm a Guinness man to begin with. Yeah. So, too many people play with the stouts.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the unusual thing. Most people, when they try off-the-wall beer creations, they're going to go with an ale or a lager. Mm -hmm. And this is an off-the-wall beer creation with a stout. And you don't see a lot of that. You don't see a lot of people pushing the stout boundary.
1: But in tasting it, I get it. It works. Yeah. I want to know, if we get a chance, I'd like to talk to the road guys. Maybe I'll fire it off an email Mm -hmm. to them to see. If they tried sriracha on their ale, you know, did they try a sriracha with the ale? Did they try sriracha with the lager? How did they do this? Or was this... um,
0: What led them to this sriracha stuff? Or was this just
1: the happy accident that worked the first time?
0: Was somebody in the brewing portion, walking around with a bottle of Sriracha sauce in their back pocket, and it fell out and contaminated.
1: Like the Reese's peanut butter commercials. Exactly. You got the chocolate in my peanut butter. butter. No, you got your 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 Sriracha sriracha in my my stout. stout. No, you got your stout in my Sriracha. And they both drink it like it's a great taste combination. Hell yeah, that would be great. I'm going to ask them that. But... All right, so kudos to Rogue. I think we're going to wrap this up here tonight. Um, I'm going to leave everybody hanging with the whole uh, story for Bookseller, as it's going to probably become the main movie after the Bunny Rabbit tragedies gets shot. So we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, Yay for guys following their dreams, searching for a sugar man, and... uh, keep drinking beer but remember to follow your dreams this is episode 23 of the desperate mothers podcast i'm cj watson
0: and i'm jack fisher
1: hop on
0: hop on brother